Hello and welcome to the Nursing It podcast. I'm your host, David Larson, and today I will be going over a pathophysiology and pharmacology review around systemic blood flow and disorders that accompany systemic blood flow. This is going to include the arterial and venous systems. Before I begin, I would like to remind listeners that if you have any questions regarding past topics or want me to go over something in a future podcast, please email me at nursingandpodcast.gmail.com and I'll make sure to address your questions. With that said, sit back, relax, and let's jump right into a quick review around lipids in our body. Because lipids have a vital role to play with disorders of the systemic blood flow. First off, let's talk about triglycerides. Triglycerides are a lipid that is used for energy metabolism. And you don't want more than 150 milligrams per DL of triglycerides in your body. Phospholipids, which make up lipoproteins, blood clotting, myelin sheaths, and even cell membranes, are another portion. And they are very important for the body. These include lipoproteins, which include HDLs, which are lipoproteins that carry cholesterol to excretion, and LDLs, which carry cholesterol to the cells. Now, there's the idea of good, bad cholesterol. And that is associated with your HDL and LDL levels. HDLs are considered healthy because they just help carry cholesterol for excretion. LDLs are considered lethal because they can actually, in high numbers, lead to arthrosclerosis, as we'll talk about a little bit early, a little later on in this podcast. The final lipid we'll talk about is cholesterol. This is needed to, uh, for the body to produce steroids or hormones, and it also helps maintain cell membrane fluidity. Now that that quick lipid review is all done here, let's move on to the pathology of the arterial system. And we'll start off with talking about the big one, atherosclerosis. And we'll talk about a theory that medical professionals have regarding atherosclerosis. And this is the response to injury theory. This is where an injury to the endothelium caused by high blood pressure, radical uh, oxygen, uh, free radicals, uh, turbulent blood flow, hyperlipidemia, and an increase in blood sugar, which are all usually signs of obesity or a sedentary lifestyle, lead to this endothelial cells producing cell surface adhesion molecules, which will attract monocytes and T cells to that injury site. These cells will then adhere to the endothelial and migrate beneath it, trying to find what is causing the problem. This will then cause the tight junctions to loosen, increase impermeability, and unfortunately, this leads to LDLs carrying cholesterol to cells. If there's an excess of them, they might actually leak into the tight junctions as well. The macrophages will phagocytize the LDLs, which will begin oxidizing and create foam cells. Now, these foam cells will actually begin to apoptose because these are not healthy cells and then it leads to lipid accumulation. And this will lead to a very distinct fatty streak, which is the first signs of atherosclerosis in the human body. There's this foam cells in the arterial wall, and it is actually seen by age 20, 
and even younger, depending on lifestyle. Now, what can happen is either a stable or an unstable plaque can start to form. A stable plaque is a fibrous plaque, so it doesn't rupture as easily. However, it's still a problem because it can lead to ischemia and even occlusion of an artery. An unstable plaque is less fibrous and it can easily rupture, and the fear of that is, of course, a site of hemorrhage. Uh, or an aneurysm, or something like that. Now, an aneurysm can occur, in the, which is basically either an outpocketing of the artery, uh, and it can look like a berry, so a berry aneurysm, which is just a small spherical vessel that is has dilations. Now, this happens a lot in the circle of Willis in our brain. There could also be a fossiform uh, aneurysm. This is a gradual progressive enlargement and usually happens around the aorta, but it can also happen around the thoracic or the abdominal areas. One of the scariest ones is a dissection, dissecting uh, aneurysm, and this can actually have an increased chance of a hemorrhage of a vessel wall with a longitudinal uh, tearing. And this is very, very life-threatening. So those are the worries that we have with arthrosclerosis. Now, as mentioned, some risk factors with it include having uh, hyperlipidemia, which we'll talk about a little bit later in this podcast, smoking, family history, having low HDL, so not carrying cholesterol away, age as you get older, around over age 45 for men and 55 for women, if you have peripheral vascular disease, or if you have high blood pressure or hypertension. And the complications that arise from this is, of course, ischemic heart diseases, stroke, or even peripheral vascular diseases. And the manifestation of this is the, either the form of a uh, rupture or a hemorrhaging, or it can lead to an aneurysm, as mentioned. So I mentioned hyperlipidemia, and we're going to talk about that right now. So it is mostly caused by diet. The type of foods that you have. There are good and bad foods that we all know about. Like good foods are like our monos, uh, mono, uh, sa- monosaccharides or mon- monounsaturated, polyunsaturated uh, fats, such as oils, peanuts, uh, sunflower seeds, that kind of stuff. And bad fats include the saturated and trans fats, which are found in margarines, deep fried foods, egg yolk, and even red meat. Um, but you could also have hypothyroidism, nephrotic syndrome, uh, acute hepatitis, that kind of stuff that could lead to hyperlipidemia. Some hereditary causes uh, include uh, hypercholesteremia, which can be primarily developed uh, independent of any health problems or lifestyle or associated with health problems. Or you could have a family familial combined hyperlipidemia, where you simply just have an increase in secretion of LDL. Or you have what is called dis-beta lipoproteinemia, which is where you have a defective ApoE uh, in your body, which leads to the decreased catabolism 
of LDLs and thus you have more LDLs in your body. So how do we manage these lipid disorders exactly? Well, as mentioned, some can be treated with uh, vascular or with uh, lifestyle changes, um, so non-pharmacological changes. So your diet or even exercise and the diet that you would want to do is a more of a decrease in saturated fats, an increase in fiber, decrease of alcohol consumption, decrease of tobacco. These are things I think are very ingrained in our, uh, in our kind of psyche when it comes to healthy food. Now, pharmacologically to help with these lipid disorders, there are, um, I would say, the two biggest drugs that we, we focus on, and I'll talk about those right now. So the first one are statins. So this is drugs such as Lipitor, which is part of a, a atovastatin kind of a group of medications. And what these do is they inhibit HMG-CoA reductase. So this decreases cholesterol, which will hopefully decrease LDLs while you're increasing HDLs. But statins have a pretty big adverse effect, which is rhabdomyolysis or the breakdown of muscles. So this has to be, your uh, creatinine levels have to be very monitored um, and your liver enzymes have to be monitored as well. The second group of drugs that we're talking about are bile acid resins. So this is stuff called cholestyramines. So these include olestyres uh, and equestrans. And what these do is actually bind to bile acids, forming an insoluble complex of cholesterol, which is excreted. So this can help lower cholesterol about 20% in the liver, which is pretty good. Now, most adverse effects are more GI related because it is not absorbed, it's just in GI, so patients will feel bloated, constipated, may have diarrhea and abdominal pain. So you might have to give them uh, a supplement like gravel or something like that to help ease their stomach if they're feeling discomfort. So leading from arthrosclerosis, we talked about occlusion. And I want to talk quickly about that right now, and then we'll move into the venous system. So acute arterial occlusion can occur, and it has seven P's of symptoms that you need to be aware of. There will be pain, pallor, parathesia, paralysis, pulselessness, uh, polar, as in they're very cold, and pistol shot acute onset it happens very very quickly so with acute occlusion you're going to get limb ischemia you're going to get all those signs and symptoms and you're going to feel it and it's going to be very 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 painful so as mentioned this could be due to uh, atherosclerosis where there's an interruption of the arterial flow or it could be a thromboangitis, where inflammation of arterial artery leads to a thrombus formation. An example of an occlusion disease is renal disease. 
where you get vasospasms of the arterioles in the fingers and toes, and you actually see a very visible reddening and then blanching of the skin. Wonderful. So let's move on to pathology of the venous system. Now, before we talk about this, um, I wanted to say, compare and contrast the artery and the venous uh, insufficiencies. So, as mentioned, artery insufficiencies are the narrowing of the arteries, and you'll experience a lot of cramping, a lot of pain, a lot of tiredness, um, whereas venous is in the venous return. So you'll get cramping, and you'll get uh, pain worsening on standing that does and, and improves when it's elevated. Um, and one of the biggest differences between an artery and the vein is with an artery insufficiency, it's going to be very pale. The temperature is going to be very cold. There won't be any edema. And the uh, skin will look very thin and shiny. Whereas with the vein insufficiency, this is going to be extremely painful. The pulse is going to be normal. The skin color is going to be normal or cyanotic, so keep that in mind. The temperature is going to be normal, but you will have edema, and the skin might get a kind of a brown pigmenty look to it. Now, disorders of the venous system include things like um, DVT, or deep vein thrombosis, or valvular incompetence which is a loss of unidirectional blood flow. So disorders of the venous circulation uh, can help predispose to clot formation. And this is mostly due to the stagnation of the blood flow and activation of the clotting system when it's not needed. So some big, the biggest risk factors with, uh, with these kind of venous pathologies is mostly if a patient is bed rest with low mobility, if they have congestive heart failure, or have had an MI or stroke in the past, or if they are experiencing or trying to bounce back from shock. And with that, that is the end of this episode. Next episode, we're going to go over blood pressure and blood pressure regulation. So that should be a very interesting episode, I think. Uh, make sure to email me at nursingitpodcast.gmo.com and I'll make sure to hit answer any of your hard-hitting questions. I hope you all had as much fun listening to podcasts as I had making this episode. And I wish you all a happy rest of your day. Until next time, I'm David Larson. and look forward to talking with you all soon. Take care.